0: The following episode of the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio, includes advertising provided by our network GCN. If you'd like to subscribe to an ad-free version of the program, plus the exclusive After the Paracast podcast, please visit www.theparacast.plus. That's P-L-U-S. Once again, that's www.theparacast.plus. The Paracast, Paracast dot dot plus. Plus. Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And now, here's Gene Steinberg. After, what, a couple of years, I think, Ron James, film producer, is back here on The Paracast. Our co-host this week is Kurt Collins. And through the course of the show, we'll be talking with Ron about a new film that we all are very curious about. And the title of that film, I understand it's getting awards and all sorts of of really good stuff, the title of that film, An Accidental Truth. We want to know what's accidental about it. But before that, I know there are a lot of listeners who actually have never heard Ron James on the Paracast or anywhere else. So how does one become a filmmaker? Were you playing with movies when you were a kid or what? You know, that's an interesting story for me. I used to, I was in the
2: graphics business. I was writing a lot of fiction at the time. I had a screen printing shop. And this was about the time of the OJ trials, just for a point of reference. So I didn't have any video background before that. But I... Decided I wanted to make an instructional video about screen printing, and I hired a local videographer. I had so much fun making the video that I sold the screen printing company and I bought half of what was Joe Scarborough's old recording studio in Pensacola, under the agreement that if I bought into the recording studio, that we would do video production too. So I leased up some video production equipment and started just started doing it. That was back then, and this is now, and you know, twenty seven national awards later hundreds of hours of original productions. But that's how I got started. When I first started out, you know, I was in Florida. So I get hired a lot of times to help out of town crews like Discovery Channel come to town and you basically get hired to carry their gear, (laughs) which was no fun. One time during spring break in Panama City, I did MTV spring break and, and Girls Gone Wild was there and they were using me to help on the shoot. And I came back and I just felt really unfulfilled by any of it. I was thinking to myself, this isn't why I got into video production. I want to do stuff that actually has some some meaning. And I picked up an article in UFO Magazine by this guy, Peter Gersten. He had UFO's uh, cause, Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, and he'd written this article about the reality of our reality, the idea that we're living in a simulation. And I was totally blown away by that. Coincidentally, the International Conference on Science and Consciousness was happening in Albuquerque, very shortly after that and i booked a, a flight and i went out there and i set up a conference room and taped a green screen to the wall and started interviewing scientists about quantum physics and that was my very first start on this journey and then in the ufo thing i got hired by steve bassett to do the uh, DX conference that's when i got kind of got hooked on that i realized that we're dealing with the biggest deception facing humanity and i just decided that if i could do something about
1: it i will well, of course, we can also talk about political deceptions, but I understand certainly if the government truly has evidence that we're being visited by spaceships, then certainly that's going to be a pretty huge thing.
2: Now, well, I think there's a pretty good case for it. It's if, if still circumstantial at best, but I think the film Accidental Truth lays down, you know, there's there's not a lot of tinfoil hats in that movie, and there's not a lot of things that are being presented that are not backed by some sort of official documentation.
1: Speaking of which, obviously, when you have something like this with a lot of viewpoints, there are a few tinfoil hats we noticed. And would you like to get, in, to get
2: those past Well, us? I don't want to name them independently because, you know, I'm not really into saying bad things about people. I've, I've, I've gotten some flack over some people that are in the film. But, well, um, I was thinking most more of the
1: issues than the people, okay? We're not going to worry about the people. Just worry about the issues. So, okay. one, of course, when we talk about crash retrievals. Obviously, because he was on in your film for about three seconds, James Fox has the one about the crash in Virginia, Brazil. And forgive my Portuguese, but you didn't mention that at all, did you? You were focusing on US incidents. Well,
2: for one thing, you know, James covered that. And for another thing, we're not focusing on any specific crash in the film. We mention a few that are, you know, conjecture through history. And then we just point to some documents that came out that, that, according to the Defense Intelligence Agency, are in response to a specific request for materials that came from UFOs. So we're not taking deep dives into supposed crashes. We're more taking the uh, the macro approach, that it doesn't matter which crash out of hundreds of stories is true. There's a fair amount of, of evidence and omissions by the government that, at least one of them
1: happened. Well, of course, we're talking about Roswell, perhaps. Obviously, Aztec, New Mexico has a very shady kind of story, and I've spent a lot of time reading through that. I interviewed Scott Ramsey, who wrote a book about it. I had lunch with Scott Ramsey when he visited Arizona, and he's a really, really nice guy, spent a lot of money, but the case is threadbare. Kingman, Arizona, hmm not crazy about roswell there's obviously something that is worth exploration just my opinion
2: um yeah i mean like i said uh, and, and like what michael stratt says in the film he mentions a couple of cases that that are of some significance to him um but he also points out that there's in in his uh, archives and he's one heck of a historian um he's done a lot of amazing work in his archives he's got 165 cases And like he says in the film, we just need one of them to be real. At the core of it, what Accidental Truth is about is taking apart the new narrative. And the new narrative is basically, yeah, we closed Project Blue Book. There wasn't anything going on until the ATIP program started. uh, And that whole entire period is being whitewashed by the people that are talking now. And Accidental Truth points out that, you know, that's complete load of BS because, we know that there was numerous programs. We know that, that technology and, and debris and possibly even biology was was ported to various industries. We know some of the programs that were being run and through Freedom of Information Act responses, we know some of those technologies and some of the uh, uh, materials that were derived from these uh, programs. And so it's really about just peeling away the onion skin and the lies about what's happened since roswell until now because we're being told the same story now that we were told by general sanford back in the 50s and we point that out very poignantly in the film kurt
3: well so before we uh, go go further in this now um you, you told us pretty much how you began in film um how did you become involved in MUFON, and how does this film relate to the organization
2: well, MUFON's dedicated to the scientific understanding of UFOs, um, and I was—it's a—it's kind of a funny story. I was at um, Paula Harris uh, hired me to MC one of her um, Laughlin conferences, and I was backstage with some people from MUFON, and Jaime Masson was there, and. Uh, He was live streaming the symposium, and he said, you know, you guys really should set up, he said this to the MUFON people, he said, you guys really should set up your own kind of little channel like I have. And I thought, I was just a fly on the wall in the conversation. I thought, you know, that's a pretty good idea. So I went upstairs and I registered MUFON television and MUFONTV.com and blah, blah, blah. And then I uh, spent about six months negotiating a deal to do a 50-50 joint venture between MUFON and Ron James Television to create MUFON's exclusive online subscription-based TV network, and that's what we did. And so um, that's been up for a while. We have thousands of subscribers. It's completely commercial-free. And it's, uh, it's one of, if not the largest archive of, um, of relevant UFO material um, that's not supported by advertising that you can get and um then after a while when the mufon got some new leadership and they offered me the position of being their media relations director which means that i get to work on shows like ancient aliens i was just on it and uh the proof is out there is another one that we do a lot with the unexplained is one that we do a lot with but anytime any of these tv shows or newspapers or anything else needs um assistance then they uh they come to, I'm the person inside of MUFON that it gets what they need as far as licensing videos, uh, you know, doing stories on cases and does all the contracts and all that kind of stuff.
1: More stuff is coming with Ron and Kurt and Gene. You're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners, I want you to have the entire Paracast experience, so I'd like to tell you about Plus.
4: My name is Don Wiskin, and at 42 years old, I suffered a massive heart attack, lost 35% of my heart to damaged tissue, and was supposed to spend the rest of my life on disability. What did I do? I took Extendivite, a garlic and cayenne mix of seven herbs, which rebuilt my heart and gave me back my life. For over 17 years now, I have made this formula available to you, so you don't have to suffer the same thing I did clean your blocked arteries and strengthen your heart and boost your natural immune system. I'm 60 years old now, and I still work every day. To get your Extendivite, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822, or visit heartdrop.com. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Extend your life with
5: Extendivite.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: Kurt Collins stepping in for Tim Swartz, who is out of town on a secret mission somewhere or something like that. Ron James is here to talk about his work with Mufan and his recent documentary an accidental truth which you were saying is very top rated at iTunes which means somebody's going to make some money off this if it keeps up it's going to take a lot of money you know
2: matthew modine narrates this that was not an inexpensive thing but he brought a whole new element to it that is just amazing he's become such a friend and such an ally since we did the recording that i just said i was blessed that he came into the project
1: absolutely blessed i noticed you list him as one of the producers is he personally interested in ufos well you know that's how he uh that's how he was attracted to the
2: project um we originally were courting Steven Tyler, and that was going to be fun because I'm kind of a rock and roll guy at heart. Uh, but then he, uh, you know, he had his rehab incident right about the time that we should have been closing him. So then we went and we had Edward James Olmos, who I'm a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. Everything that guy's ever done, I liked. But uh, he got a little nervous about the subject matter and the fact that we're poking the the government in the eye and his lawyers kind of scared him off and he backed out right as we were supposed to be going to contract. So we were like holy moly man, we're running out of time. we got to get somebody. And um, somebody on my team was with Matthew Modine in England at a Comic Con event and just kind of mentioned it to him off off the cuff. And and Matthew it turns out has, has had a UFO encounter and he was interested in the project and as soon as we found out he was interested we started talking and it just all kind of i went to new york and spent two days in the studio with him and it was great and he is out there on i don't know if you guys are following any of it he's out there on twitter and instagram and all this other stuff he's really behind the film and part of our deal was he wanted to have some producer credits which you know just again just shows how excited he was about the project
3: he did a fine job. I mean, I've, there there's some films that, unfortunately, documentaries, the, the narration sounds, you know, pretty wooden. And I thought he did, uh, you know,
2: an excellent job. So uh, you, you're lucky to have landed him. Yeah, he brought something very special to it. And, you know, we've won nine awards for the film already. And one of them was uh, the Indie Fest, it's an independent film festival. I think the Gold Award, which is second, like second place. Um, for documentary and for narrator so we won two from those guys
3: and uh uh, before we went to break so you um you had mufon tv you're head of their uh media relations so is this uh is this a joint product how how does this exactly work i mean is this official mufon branded
2: um, not really. I just, you know, I wanted to uh, promote Mufon in what I was doing, so I added Mufon Television to the mix. But it's pretty much just me. Um, they, they didn't have anything to do with the production or any say in it. I, I you know, since I own Mufon Television, it's one of my production companies. Uh, certainly, I added it to the uh, to the producer slate. But I was pretty much on my own making this.
1: Other than a few Mufon people in the film, and of course the last section where you have the management or leadership in Washington, D.C., it's you. Yeah, I
2: I, I did the whole film. I wrote it. I directed it. I edited it. I did the soundtrack. I did the graphics and special effects and the animations with the help from a couple guys in Ukraine. I shot all the interviews um, yeah I mean it's like it's, this is, if you look at the credits on the film there's only one or two other people that had any hands on work at all. Everybody else were friends of mine that, that got on as producers for the support they gave me um, just kind of keeping an eye on what I was doing and advising me and helping make sure that was a good film because I tend to get a little crazy. I, I, I like loud graphics. I like breaking the rules. Um, I, I tend to not, I, I want to make stuff that doesn't look like anybody else's. And when you take those kind of creative risks, there's a fine line between, wow, that's really awesome. I never saw that before. And holy moly, that's terrible. So, <laughs> so I had some people just kind of keeping me in check. That's why Chris O'Brien was there, huh? I brought Chris in because, you know, him and I have done several films together, and he helped me with with a lot of the research, and he also got uh, Ralph Blumenthal and Michio Okaku because they were not originally going to be in it, and as I started realizing how big the thing was going to be, um, I just wanted to make it bigger and better, so we literally have an all-star cast the top tier people from from government and arguably one of the, the world's most famous scientists, the guy that broke the New York Times story, the guy that's on the record studying crash debris with anomalous isotopic ratios. I mean, short of Avi Loeb and a couple other people, I can't really think of anybody I wish I had
1: that's not in the film. Well, Ralph Blumenthal was a great guest on the Powercast. I think we had a really good experience with him he talked of course about that story also his book about dr john mack so Mm -hmm. he's really immersed in this stuff now
2: yeah he really is and and you know the the book on john mack we 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 mentioned it in in there because we have a section on experiencers towards the end of the film and ralph is I, i was able to spend a significant amount of time with him in new york and uh on my birthday, which was pretty cool. I interviewed Michio Kaku and Ralph Blumenthal, both within a couple days of my birthday. And I was like, wow, to spend two hours sitting five feet across from Michio Kaku, I could not ask the universe for a better birthday present. Um, but yeah, Ralph is really, he's, he's down to earth. He's fact-based. Um, he doesn't want to get involved in speculation. But as he says in the film, what we can actually ascertain is compelling enough without having to go off in too many fringy directions.
1: Well, we can't forget the fact that Ralph won a Pulitzer for the New York Times for his coverage of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. So Mm -hmm. he is a first, first class reporter. And then the Pentagon correspondent for the Times is also one of the authors.
2: Yes. Um, Helen, I can't remember her last name. But, yes, and she's credited in there, too. But, you know, Ralph, at the end of the interview, Gene, you'll get a kick out of this. At the end of the interview, um, he signed a book for me. And after he left, I looked inside the book, and he actually wrote, Ron, you're a terrific interviewer, Ralph. And, and I was like, oh, my gosh. It's like if I, could, if I could take
1: that page and frame it, I would. By the way, the name of the other reporter is Helene Cooper. Cooper, thank you.
2: You know, I'm, I'm actually—I must be getting older because there's there's stuff in the in the movie, like that I had a brain fart on recently on a, on an interview. It's like we're talking about Patel Memorial Institute, and I couldn't remember what it was called. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so thank you for refreshing my memory on that. Yes, the the New York Times story is Leslie Keen, Ralph Blumenthal, and Helene Cooper. The three of them broke it. The 2017 ATIP story.
1: And Helene Cooper, by the way, also does regular spots on cable news. Mm-hmm. For Of course, they're asking her about Pentagon stuff, not UAPs or her participation in that, about all the other craziness we have to follow in our world. Not craziness here, but we're talking about the work of Ron James. We're supported by Kurt Collins. I'm Gene Steinberg sometimes or all the time. Or actually, the birth certificate said, Eugene, I won't use that. When they say that, I feel insulted. Okay, you're in the Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
11: If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why.
12: USA News Update. Texas authorities are searching for a gunman who killed five people at a home north of Houston. Police say they are looking for a Hispanic male who is armed with an AR-15-style rifle. A climate activist group was protesting at the White House Correspondents' Dinner on Saturday. The group says they are protesting what they call President Biden's broken promises regarding fossil fuel projects. Flooding along the Mississippi River caused by snowmills is being reported in parts of Iowa and Wisconsin. Some areas will have flooding concerns throughout the week. South Carolina Democrats are electing Crystal Spain to lead the state's Democratic party, Spain becomes the state's first black woman to head the organization. The Super Mario Brothers movie is the one to beat again at the box office. The animated movie is looking to make another $37 million in its fourth weekend in theaters. Jerry Barmash, USA News.
6: Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD.
13: Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the mineral doctor. You've heard me talk about 90 for Life for years. 60 minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, 2 fatty acids. You may not know this, that I've actually designed Arthur Dex for animals. That's right. Your pets need 90 for life, too. Get this essential pet product by calling 877-279-9422. That's 877-279-9422. Again, 877-279-9422.
14: This is James
0: Fox, director of The Phenomenon and Moment of Contact. You're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Then again, if I'm insulted, it's an everyday occurrence. There's always somebody out there, if you get online, as you know Ron, to insult people. I mean, Ron and I have had disagreements about ufo issues but he's cool doesn't matter that's what it's all about we're trying to understand something that as of that we still don't understand what's going on i have an interesting question here which maybe is a conundrum ron and that is obviously in the film we learn that the government has said things we can't believe about UFOs.
2: (laughs) yeah i guess that's pretty much an understatement yeah
1: So why believe them when they say something positive? If we disbelieve them when it's negative, if they say something positive, we should believe them?
2: Well, this is a film with a lot of layers, and I invite people to watch it two or three times because on the surface, you're like, oh yeah, wow, that guy's pretty cool, blah, blah, blah. Um, But let me tell you a little secret about the accidental truth movie. There are a lot of people in this film that are pretty much lying every time they open their mouth, and you do not get that at first. And it's by design, it's just there's this is a very interesting piece. Yeah, you can't believe anything, honestly. We're getting this baked version of disclosure that is carefully managed, and disproving it is is very, very easy. and and we I think we do a pretty good job at dismantling this the current story. And then we had these hearings just a couple days ago. The film came out before the hearings, and I had this little joke. you know, watch accidental truth, watch the congressional hearings. And then you'll have a pretty good idea who to believe. The congressional hearings did not disappoint. They were pretty, pretty sad.
1: The thing that bothers me always is you have people in Congress who can be downright intrusive and insulting when they're talking to people. And we can mention a few candidates. But here, everybody is asking very simple, basic questions. And then speaking as a journalist, and certainly in what you're doing, you're doing journalism. Speaking as a journalist, I think, why aren't they asking these dudes from the Pentagon the deep questions? They ask the very surface, simple questions, and they can't think of the proper follow-ups. And they aren't stupid people. So you think if you really wanted to get to the bottom of something, hit them with some hard questions and see how they answer it.
2: Well, you have to remember that there was but both of these times. There are public and private discussions, and I know for a fact because I'm about to publish an inter my my full length interview with Congressman Tim Burchett when I was making the film. I I went to his office and I set up two cameras, and I lined out the whole story to him from pre-Roswell all the way to today, and this was something he already knew. And two months ago, I had lunch with Andre Carson, okay, and and we talked about this stuff. These guys know, but they can't prove. They are as frustrated as we are because what they're dealing with, as you saw in the first hearings with Andre Carson and, uh, and Gallagher, the two people that they had, Bray and Moultrie, are sitting on top of a compartment a new compartment. And when they talk about not knowing anything about, you know, the faded giant incidents with solace and, and they talk about not knowing about different types of things, the Wilson Davis memo, this is just another exercise in let's put it in a box. And and they, you know, they answer those questions very, very skillfully. Uh, that is not within the purvey of the UAP task force. It's like, ugh, it's just more of the same. So, so since the revelation and the legislation, it's been one uh, acronym after another, you know, and and then NASA chimes in and says, "Oh yeah, you know, we're going to start looking at that stuff." I mean, give me a break. It's so blatant the the what what's happening, and I, I just hope accidental accidental truth is about taking that apart, and and I just hope that the public is interested enough to understand that the dog and pony show we're getting right now, not only is it contrived and designed to whitewash the past and take away accountability from anybody that that might have been part of this cover-up but it's also almost a verbatim repeat of something they laid out you know 50 years ago so it's hard to watch all of it
3: so you touched on something uh meeting with uh and and, uh carson so What's going on with uh, MUFON's relationship
2: with the government? You know, what, what's the uh, back and forth? MUFON was approached by a lobbying firm called A10 and Associates. Uh, this firm is owned by Jessica Taco. It's the largest woman-owned lobbying firm in the world. And she is a, a D.C. insider going way back. I mean, she was in high school. She's gone at half of the people that, that we've met in there. She knows personally. Um, she's very deeply committed to the UFO topic, and she offered to to kind of get us going in D.C. And so for about two years now, we've been having meetings with over 300 meetings with staffers uh, and, and sitting congresspeople. We've had private uh, briefings for both the Senate and House Intelligence Committees. And currently, MUFON is providing reports, uh, quarterly reports from our database about worldwide UFO sightings to both intelligence committees. And the other thing is, is that... Prior to the hearings that Andre Carson chaired, we actually were very instrumental in getting those done. We're the ones that went and worked with with Gallagher and Gildebrand and Andre Carson and encouraged having a hearing. And so we were very instrumental in it. And it kind of kicks me off a little bit for lack of a better phrase there's some people out there that are that are saying that they were involved in this and and we don't see anybody's fingerprints on it and i wish these people would quit taking credit for stuff that they're not really involved in but that's their thing and history will bear it out uh the other thing that we were very instrumental in is the uh defense appropriations act it has a clause in it about um the military needing to provide all of its records regarding UAP going back to 1945. The original wording in that legislation was 1947, and MUFON and our lobbying firm worked with the authors to get that date rolled back two years. And the reason we did that is because there's a couple of things that happened pre-Roswell, and we didn't run the Roswell incident to kind of get lost in the shuffle. So we, so th- when people ask, well, what have you done specifically? We can point to that, that, that yeah, we're, we got those extra two years added in so that we had enough buffer around Roswell so that when the military actually has to start being accountable for this stuff, they don't have that 1947 year that they can fudge. And so the, these are things that we've done that we can talk about so yeah we, we have the best relationship ever in dc dave mcdonald our director is there right now meeting with people that's
3: pretty interesting so can you contrast that with uh, the uh, bigelow relationship uh, you talk about that uh in the film some, and and that was apparently mufon or at least not everyone necessarily knew that it was a government contract
2: No, you know, Robert Bigelow, and and, you know, there's a lot of just rumors and innuendo and, and incorrect information around that whole relationship. And obviously, I wasn't there. But from what I understand, and I've certainly talked to enough people, MUFON was basically hired to share our data with Bigelow's organization. It was simply a matter of whenever we had a case, we would share the data with them that we didn't give it to them exclusively. Nobody had any right to take the data and hide it. Um, and MUFON got funded to go do investigations. You know, it's like, um, like the, the James Fox movie, um, making or moment of contact when well, it's out right now. Um, that was the kind of situation where MUFON would be paid to send investigators by Bigelow Aerospace under, under their agreement. Um, and Richard Lang, who ran the program, he ran the star team for MUFON during that time, is in the movie. And, you know, he kind of points out that, you know, that, yeah, the Defense Intelligence Agency was behind it. We figured it out. We knew it was some government agency. But the reason that's in there is because we have the official story of the government that nobody was involved in doing this kind of stuff. Uh, but we know that they were going back, you know, the outside. Off- this was. Right about the beginning of the ASAP program, um, which was when Bigelow transitioned out of the National Institute for Discovery Science. But you know, we're starting to go back in the calendar. And then we have John Alexander, who is a whole other interesting person who's finally admitting how involved he was. We have a break,
1: and then we'll have more with Ron, Gene, and Kurt. You're in the cast.
17: No matter where you live, what you make, or who you voted for, there are some things that will impact all of us soon. Whether you're concerned about the alarming increase in man-made disasters, financial institutions collapsing, or worsening food shortages, Americans are preparing in numbers not seen since World War II. What's changed is how we prepare. And the folks at My Patriot Supply have made it easier than ever for you to have peace of mind, knowing you're ready for what's next. Go to MyPatriotsupply.com and stock up on over a dozen emergency food kits. These include tasty breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, fruits, veggies, meats, and snacks, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one kit per person. As we all know, calories equals energy equals survival. My Patriot Supply food kits are in stock and shipped discreetly. We've seen too many Americans let down by institutions we used to trust. It's time to rely on ourselves. MyPatriotSupply.com MyPatriotSupply.com
12: These are the sounds of someone taking their eyes off the road. Texting while driving is more than distracting. It's dangerous. Do yourself a favor. Do us all a favor. When you're on the road, stay off the phone. A message from CTIA. Hi, this is Nick Pope. You're
1: listening to the Paracast. Colonel Alexander... Such a fascinating character. We've had him on the Powercast a few times, and certainly, obviously, he's only giving us one tenth of what he knows. Yes, absolutely. You know, he's a he's a
2: key figure in this. Going going back, you know, so are the the Hal Putoffs and the um, the Eric Davis and some of these guys. Some of these people go back years. But you know, what's very interesting is that, from what I can glean, they really never got the deep access that they wanted. They were a ad hoc group starting off. And originally they were trying to find the people that had the truth and had the technology and had this stuff because they already knew they were sequestered deep, 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 deep. deep. So when we see Alexander and, and, and these people coming out, they are not the group that Really took this information. Say a majestic twelve type group. These these guys are not those guys, and I'm still not 100 percent convinced that they're read in to, as much as they should be, or as much as they want it to be. But um, you know, we're just we're dealing with people that we're never going to know who they are. We're never going to fully understand the structure that was put in place to maintain the secrecy. But even guys within government, John Alexander had free reign to go and do whatever he wanted to pretty much. They jokingly referred to him as a freelance colonel. And he put together groups at the top levels of of secrecy to try and get to the bottom of this stuff. And like he'll tell you right now, oh, there's nothing to Roswell. Um, Okay, so he's toeing the line at the same time. Now, finally, he's doing what he can. But I, there's an interview in the film where he's talking about how he thinks it would be a good idea for scientists to be a little more free to study this stuff. And, and it turns out that when he was saying that in the interview, he was actually running one of the programs that he was denying existed. So it's very, very interesting. And John and I are still friends, but there's a couple things in the film that, that I think ticked him off.
3: Oh, I just want to mention, uh, I don't know if you ever read his uh, 2011 book, uh, UFO Myths, Conspiracies, and whatever, but uh, he said in there there was no UFO investigation, and this was right at the same time his friend Robert Bigelow was involved in the OSAP contract, and he knew that, but I guess – you know, it's just interesting how emphatically he said that, not only in the book but in the conferences and appearances he gave.
2: Yeah, and, and see, months. he dates back even before that because they had the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group, which was an offshoot of something that was already going on. You know, and it's all the same people. You know, the so-called bird bird people. Um, I don't know if that's actually accurate, but you know, the Hal Puthoffs and 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 these guys. Um, They were doing this before that. And we found out, John admitted to me about the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group, which predates his even knowing Robert Bigelow. And he talked about how, in the the film, he talks about this program where they were were finding, 30 years, 40 years ago, they were finding the exact same flight characteristics of these craft. And in the film, he makes stunning revelations about the reality of UFOs and the reality of them uh, that nobody's ever seen. And I don't think he's ever put all this stuff together in a public um, presentation yet either, because it took me three interviews spanning 15 years to stitch it all together. But what John Alexander reveals in this thing is absolutely off the charts. And when he talks about these craft doing things 30 years ago that Lou Elizondo and Tip is just now identifying, and then we find out that the Advanced Theoretical Physics Working Group, he denied that to me uh, personally, that there was any documentation of the group's work, but then we got a hold of notes from the initial meeting from somebody else that was there, and that person was able to show us their gate pass to BDM where they went to a secure room, and it was the first meeting of the group. And the notes from the meeting were things like you know establishing contact, uh, studying propulsion, quantum communication. So these guys, you know, that and this was years ago. It was pre, it was pre Bigelow. I think it was it was about thirty five years now. So this was going on. And it was, It doesn't even scratch the surface of what was going on. But it proves that this, this phenomena has been happening. Uh, the documentation of these craft doing the exact same things goes back 50 years, 100 years. It's just amazing well
3: before we get too far away from this so one of the things about john alexander is you know he's associated with bigelow and skinwalker ranch and there's a big aspect of the paranormal i have to know that's a huge you know his interest in ufos is part of a larger interest in the paranormal and Mm -hmm. um so uh and and then that when when you mentioned him i think Christopher O'Brien has strong interest in paranormal relation to UFOs and I was wondering you I mean, um, know if you discuss in the film briefly the fact that it's not necessarily from outer space you know there can be another origin and I was wondering uh, if Alexander and, and Christopher O'Brien maybe influenced that section of the film
2: um, they did and so did others and so did my own perceptions. John's point, that you know, et is a good is a good place to start, but it doesn't explain everything. And you know, unfortunately, that is just how it is. And, and the people that just want to cling to, oh, they have to be aliens from outer space. Well, they probably are. It, 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 the idea that there's you know physical life on other planets that are interacting with us in some way is probably correct in, in, in my personal opinion. But the uh, there's other elements to all of this, and I think that. What John told me, I don't think I put it in the film, but he says, you know, we're not even at the stage where we're asking the right questions yet. And as this all evolves, that's kind of, of where it's going, is that we're going to have to start understanding that there are multiple things at play. There are probably life forms that we can't even conceive, much much less document. And the puzzle is way bigger. And people that keep, uh, I was on a show yesterday, uh, it was a, a, a Christian radio show, and The guy would just not get – I'm trying to be open. I'm like, look, there's a lot of things that can be happening. Even the Vatican has said that if there's life on, on other planets, it doesn't affect religion. And this guy was like, well, yeah, we believe in extraterrestrials, but they're angels and demons. And I'm like, dude, maybe. They could be angels and demons. They could be other things. They could be all of the above. But this particular focused belief was, no, they're angels and demons, and that's it. And, and and then they told me they were going to pray for me. And I'm like, give me a break, man. You know, I'm not sitting here disputing what you are telling me because I think that it's quite possible. But I'm also telling you that there's more things at play. And, you know, as we uncover more about the nature of reality, we're going to find out that uh, there's things going on that we, we can't even imagine right now. So, um, the uh,
3: people that... You were able to get for the film, uh, you know. It's an interesting range of people. Some of them have, have been on. You mentioned that that you had been on Ancient Aliens. Some of the people have been on there, um, and you know there were there were a wide variety of opinions, and including several of the people that were associated with uh, To the Stars, and you know have now severed. Um, I was kind of interested... You you talked about some of the chances you took in the special effects and other areas. So what? What did you have to cut from the film? Was there anything that you know just didn't didn't fit or just didn't come together?
2: Well, you know, I didn't want to make it too long. There was this whole section about the Navy patents that didn't make it in uh, Salvatore Pius and his and the the technology that he patented. Uh, and I had feedback from Gary Nolan and from Michio Kaku that he was patenting technology that doesn't exist, and so that there's a whole idea here that, you know, these guys are studying this stuff, trying to figure out how it works. And Salvatore came up with the pious effect and 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 went and filed patents. And that whole story about the Navy patents is very interesting. Uh, the patent office turned it down. The director of the Navy uh, wrote a letter to the patent office, practically demanding that they grant the patents based on the idea that that there was something to it. Um, but according to everybody scientifically that we spoke to, there's there's maybe that stuff might be possible one day, and maybe some of his principles might be valid, but we have no way of doing it now, and we have no way of even proving his concepts. So I, I regrettably dropped the Navy patent story. Um, I think it would have been, it's going to be in the director's cut. Oh, okay.
1: I was going to ask that before you came up with it. There will be a director's cut at some particular point in time or what?
2: Yeah, there'll be a director's cut. And we're also starting something called AT Insider. Um, it, it, it's Accidental Truth Insider. And when you join MUFON or you subscribe to MUFON TV, you're going to get that. You'll have access to the complete full length unedited interviews, all 15 or 16 of them, um, and a whole bunch of other bonus content. That it's really the,
1: There's so much of it that that's the only place we can put it. It will be the equivalent from Ron James of the Snyder Cut. (laughs) Yeah. All right, listen, if you don't follow comic book movies, this will make no sense to you. There was a movie called Justice League, which puts all the DC characters like Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman and the Flash together. But the Snyder Cut took four hours and two minutes and it takes the stuff that didn't make it into the original Theatrical release and there you go. You because guys want to hear something right. really funny? Got a teaser Ron. A teaser, a cliffhanger, Ron Curtin Jr. in the Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCN Live.com today.
1: Hey listeners. the plus to learn more about paracast plus
18: Hi, this is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and best-selling author on safety and preparedness. The fact is, things are getting downright scary for everyone who's storing their wealth in the banks. We just saw the collapse of three major banks, and I would urge you to consider protecting your wealth ASAP. If even a tiny percentage of Americans attempt to withdraw their savings, we would see a collapse of the entire banking system, sending us into a modern-day Great Depression. Fortunately, there is a way for you to avoid this. It starts with contacting Advantage Gold. If you have an IRA or 401k, Advantage Gold can help convert those paper assets into physical gold and silver. This is the process that I recommend everybody use as a hedge against rapid inflation and to protect your retirement wealth from the banks. Take control of your financial safety today. Call 800-900-8000 to get your free gold investment kit from Advantage Gold. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900-8000. Welcome back to the
0: Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Ron James joins us. He's been on the Paracast for many, many, many thousands of times. Not that long, not that many. know maybe half a dozen or something like that we always enjoy talking with him and he's talking about an accidental truth his latest film and he was going to tell us something so we had to set up a cliffhanger you know it's like billy batson in the adventures of captain marvel many years ago has to say shazam to become captain marvel but he has something covering his mouth so he can't speak he can't say, because nobody would understand it, especially the wizards. And, of course, in the next chapter, he shakes off that mask and he says, Shazam and whatever. Run.
2: So, uh, yeah, if
1: you Google
2: accidental truth T-shirt, you are going to find that we are being bootlegged and ripped off at an epic Epic scale they, You know, I, I, I own a, a company that makes t-shirts and we produce the accidental truth t-shirt and the mouse pads and the coffee cups actually in my studio. And there's only one place to get them. But when I, I accidentally ran across this and there are literally hundreds of people who have stolen our movie poster and are selling it on shirts. And if that's any indication of the success of the film, I guess I should be pretty
1: happy, but I'm about ready
2: to have to hire an army of people to go after this stuff.
1: Oh boy! Maybe make a financial deal with some of them if they have good product. Well, the thing
2: is, is I don't need anybody else manufacturing the stuff. I, I can make it all myself. So basically, somebody stole the movie poster off our website. Probably hundreds of people, and it's it's viral. If you Google the name of the movie, uh, Google reports that there's about seven million returns. If you Google "Accidental Truth" T-shirt, you get thirty three million returns. Oh, boy. Well, see, the exploiters
3: are drawn to the UFO topic because so little of the information is copyright protected in any way. You know, the 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 graphics of your film and and title and things like that are. But, you know, the concepts like the men in black and everything else and even the, the details of cases can be exploited by anyone in books, movies, podcasts and uh, you know it's a revenue stream for a lot of people but they should draw the line at copyright infringement of intellectual property did you see what i'm
2: talking about you in front of a computer it's shocking it's just it's 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 like I, I never saw that coming well uh, it's nice for the interest to be shown but you know get their, they should get their own idea yeah well you know it's star power but the copy the posters copyrighted right now i'm not going to do anything about it but you know just for the record if anybody really wants accidental truth merchandise it's accidentaltruths with an s dot com that's the only place you can get the real
1: deal oh my god i'm looking at this matthew modine accidental truth t-shirts official a- official right i see that accidental truth revelations t-shirt the official a couple of officials and i noticed they want the star power of matthew modine Oh, yeah. Well, Matthew's definitely brought a lot to the table. Well, since his name is being mentioned so often, maybe he could front the lawyer fee. (laughs) Well,
3: Well, he's a producer. He's got an interest, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. So, um, like I said, right now, we're just kind of watching it. The feeling is that, you know, the more the name gets out there, the better. But at some point, we're going to have to crack down on these guys. And it's just, uh, just a shame. I spent $20,000 on on a brand new machine to print T-shirts and make my own merchandise. Because after I finished the film, I'm just kind of tired of sitting in front of the computer. So I wanted to do a whole other thing. It's kind of heartbreaking to watch people just blatantly stealing like that. And I suppose it's only a matter of time until the film gets bootlegged. So it's, it's tough. It's tough, tough business.
3: So we're talking about the entertainment business. So Can you tell us about, it sounds like your division has been, a uh, good relationship with Mufon. Uh, they're they're a nonprofit. It's in uh, the mission statement is to uh, scientific study to benefit humanity. But uh, there's how do you how how can that coincide with the, the need to survive as a business and a lot and deliver essentially
2: entertainment to a lot of people. Well, Mufon Television is basically it's not Mufon if Mufon has an interest in it but it's a completely independent thing and the content on Mufon television is largely the ori- original shows that i make and the archive of Mufon symposiums going back years so a lot of times when you're like, you know, when we did Hangar One, MUFON licensed their their stuff to the Hangar One people. And we got a lot of flack for episodes not reflecting accuracy and blah, blah, blah. And when you get into the entertainment thing, and you, especially when you get into a TV show that has to have legs and deliver something fresh and compelling on a weekly basis, it becomes impossible. And so, you know, we've created new media policies now um, to stop that. Now, we're doing we're doing productions and, and um, managing productions and only allowing our, our brand to be used in ways that work. But you know the the MUFON of today is not the MUFON of yesterday or even five years ago. We're we're active in Washington D C. We have the largest community and resources for the experiencer community. We've published a lot of the best research. We now have our own physical laboratory that is dedicated to... The study of any trace physical evidence from UFOs. You know, certainly we have our own dive team. We just launched our social network. We just launched our map app where people can track UFO sightings in real time. Um, our membership is at an all-time high. We're pushing seven thousand plus worldwide. We have the largest fleet of, of of field investigators ever from any organization, and we uh, we have our own photo analysis. Set up that is dedicated to that, um, and then of course we have MUFON Television, and we're putting out original MUFON Television branded productions. So th- this is—it's no longer join MUFON if you want to become an investigator. It's join MUFON if you have any interest whatsoever in the field. It doesn't cost much, and there's something for everybody. If you want to move on and become an investigator, you're certainly welcome to do it. It's pretty fun. But this organization, what I feel is that the the world is going to need. A place to coalesce around like minds and make sense out of all the things that we're going to see unfold and MUFON is 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 uniquely poised to to serve that need and so you know my my latest catchphrases for MUFON is like join MUFON we're your community find your friends and that's really what it's all about and the organization has stepped up the management has stepped up the the people that are at the core group are just moving mountains we're just doing incredible things and um and, you know, all that sits on top of the world's largest database of UFO information. that seems like everybody wants to get their hands on it.
1: How easily shared is that database? Do you have to be a MUFON member?
2: There's different tiers of access. But, you know, we haven't even let the government have free reign in our database. Because people, you know, people steal from the database. They publish YouTube videos from our database without asking our permission. You know, a lot of that material stuff we we copyright and we want to share it with the public, but we want to do it on our terms. And um, we're we're dealing with a lot of this right now. Everybody wants a piece of that, and then there's there's other groups out there that are trying to kind of become an alternative to Mufon, and that's hard to watch because you know, these are private companies. They're not public servants and they're encouraging you to give your UFO reports to a private company. And then, then what they have no obligation to the public and they're just monetizing the material. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's just a very interesting landscape, but no, our database, uh, TV channels license the stuff to use in their shows. That's that's carefully controlled. Um, and when we see people out there just downloading stuff out of our database and making videos about it, that, that used to be going on a lot. And we're trying to crack down on it a little bit because we're very protective at this point of managing our brand and making sure that, uh, you know,
1: MUFON gets its due. Okay, much more to talk about with Ron James. By the way, he's expected to stick with us for the After the Paracast podcast, where we do not censor anything unless we could be sued for it. Right, Ryan? <laughs> yeah. Are we live? Never. Never live. Anyway, Kurt, Trina, and Ron, you're in the Paracast. Hey, listeners. the Paracast plus to learn more about. Paracas Plus.
18: Hi, this is Jason Hansen. I'm a former CIA officer and best selling author on safety and preparedness. The fact is, things are getting downright scary for everyone who's storing their wealth in the banks. We just saw the collapse of three major banks, and I would urge you to consider protecting your wealth, ASAP. If even a tiny percentage of Americans attempt to withdraw their savings, we would see a collapse of the entire banking system, sending us into a modern day Great Depression. Fortunately, there is a way for you to avoid this. It starts with contacting advantage gold. If you have an iron or 401k, Advantage Gold can help convert those paper assets into physical gold and silver. This is the process that I recommend everybody use as a hedge against rapid inflation and to protect your retirement wealth from the banks. Take control of your financial safety today. Call 800-900-8000 to get your free gold investment kit from Advantage Gold. Call eight hundred nine hundred eight thousand. 900 8000 That's eight hundred nine hundred eight thousand. 900 8000 Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Call 800-900 8,000.
0: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at
1: forum.theparacast.com. Continue here with Ron James, and he does lots and lots of films, including An Accidental Truth. There we go. Kurt Collins, our co-host, has a question.
3: So, a uh, concern or criticism I have about, about MUFON is that more of the uh, resources have become limited to membership, and what uh, one of the missions is to educate the public, and I was just wondering, what, what can MUFON do to educate
2: the public, and where should people look and be looking for that material? Well, when you go to MUFON.com, all of the recent reports, UFO reports, are up there readily available to the public. Our YouTube channel, we publish our best reports uh, and put those out there. And so there's plenty of free places for people to access stuff. But also, at the end of the day... A yearly membership in MUFON starts at around $49 a year and gets you access to even more information. And if you're that interested, you should join. And we're constantly doing things. You know, the productions that we make, like I do three different shows for MUFON. I do MUFON Presents, I do Space Time, and to a lesser degree... I do the uh, the MUFON talk show, and we post most of that stuff on YouTube for free. Some of it we keep inside of MUFON TV, which is behind a paywall. But for the most part, we're putting out stuff for free all the time. And, you know, the work we're doing in Washington, D.C., that costs money. It costs a lot of money. It costs money to go there. It costs money to, to, to pay these these groups. MUFON is still an all-volunteer organization. The only people in there that are actually getting a salary is the director And a couple of the office people, nobody else is on payroll. And the only way I get money from the work I do for MUFON is because I spent, you know, hundreds, hundred thousand plus dollars to build MUFON television, and I do own half of that. But, you know, at the end of the day, MUFON is all about volunteerism, and we're out there doing it every day. Oh, I have a follow-up question. Something you
3: mentioned earlier, this is trivia, I guess, but the Hangar One television show, I noticed that was recycled by the company as something called ufo files and it looked like the mufon information or branding was stripped off of it do you know anything about that
2: actually i don't but thanks for telling me i mean there's nothing we could do about it we uh that was just a license deal the networks can do whatever they want to with it after that they own it mufon never it never owned any of its of the programs uh which is something we're we're changing we have our own studios we have our ability to produce content we, we've just been plucked by so many different networks and so many different TV shows and to some extent that's going on now um, I won't name some shows but there's there's some people out there there's some programs out there that are you know using a lot of our content and um, we prefer to just have our own programs and so that's what we're working toward that
3: so you had mentioned the uh, one of the people you regretted not getting was uh, Abby Loeb and you uh, is he a speaker at the
2: Mufon conference? Yeah, he's he's either going to be there in person or he's going to Skype in. So that'll be really cool. And um, I really wanted Hal Putoff to to chime in, but you know, there's basically there's another entertainment company. I'm not going to name names, but there's another entertainment company that is uh, coming with some big money, and they're tying these people up, and and they're making it so that they can't do. Uh, other shows, and so you know, I, I got very lucky that I got some of these people because you can't get them at this point. A lot of them are under contract. Interesting.
3: So, UFOs is entertainment. It was. It is within weeks of Kenneth Arnold sightings, probably days. There was exploitation of the topic, and they were selling flying saucer hamburgers and cocktails and, and everything. Uh, it's human it. nature for you, man. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you know, it's 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 been capitalized. You know, all sorts of things uh, from the very start. And there's a certain brand of uh, of uh, I don't know if we actually want to call it ufology, but for lack of a better word, that that sort of treats it as uh, you know, not much different than pro wrestling. Very sensationalist. Doesn't matter whether it's genuine or not. And it's it's. Um, and, and some of the uh, some of the magazines, even some of the television programs are, are like that. So how does um, how does your work uh, avoid those pitfalls?
2: Well, it's a fine line between inter- for one thing, entertainment is entertainment. Um, when To the Stars Academy launched, they were intending to have an entire media wing that was devoted to capitalizing on the topic in the entertainment industry and they put uh you know they basically tried to copyright the entire field um some people will say as their opinions Uh, but uh unfortunately when there's big money in anything it attracts different types of people with different types of agendas i made accidental truth because it was the film i wanted to make and it was the information i wanted to convey but it doesn't take away from the fact that it costs you know significant significant money to make and i deserve just like anybody else deserves to recoup that this idea that that as filmmakers and as entertainers and as people that 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 create media somehow should be doing it in service to the world. You know, I, I, I say to everybody, it's like, are you going to, are you going to go and show up to your job and not get paid? Because the same people that will steal my movie or, or fault me for the fact that it's for rent and I'm not giving it away to the world. Um, those people would not make the kind of contribution that I've made. And, and they would not take the kind of risk that I've taken to do it. And so I, I, the fact that is entertainment, entertainment, any kind of media, rather you want to call it entertainment, you want to call it informational, you want to call it entertaining information, um, all of it has to be monetized or else it can't be made. I have a, I have a saying, if, if, if your last film doesn't pay for you to make your next one, then your next one's not going to get done
1: and, and the world is the loser. And it's true. Well, in any kind of profession, you expect to have to pay people. I mean, maybe you have millions of dollars on hand, and you can make your film, and you don't need any remuneration. But what about the cameraman? What about the other people who are working on that film? They certainly deserve to get paid. I mean, we think, for example, musical artists. Oh, we can hear them free on the radio. Sure, but they can't make that music unless they pay a studio, they pay a producer, they have bills, they have families... Even we think about scientists, well, maybe they're corrupted because we have to pay them. Well, OK, but how else do you do it?
2: Well, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I, you know, expecting to have revenue from the media that you create uh, does not deserve any kind of a stigma. In fact, more people should be supportive of the fact that it's a reality. And I find the biggest hypocrisy among people that criticize, but... I find the ones that are the the most likely to criticize you for charging for something are the ones that are the least charitable and probably work the lowest paid jobs. So it's, it's very interesting what we see out there.
1: Well, at times in the past, I've had to ask for donations to help with my finances. And I hear from people who say, you can't do that. You're not supposed to do that. And I think millions of people ask for donations. And then you look at their sites and what are they doing? Well, maybe they are afraid that the donation someone sends to me, they won't send to them. It's a crazy world out there. Ron James, Kurt Collins, Gene Steinberg, trying to sort the stuff. You're in the Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN.
14: TeamG'day.com TeamG'day.com
5: USA News Update: The search still on for the man who allegedly killed five people at a Texas home after his neighbors asked him to stop shooting his rifle in his yard.
7: Police say 38-year-old Francisco Oropesa killed five of his neighbors in Cleveland, Texas, about an hour north of Houston. My understanding is is that the the victims uh, they came over to the fence said, "Hey, do you mind not shooting uh, out in, in the yard? We have a young baby that, that's um, trying to go to sleep." And uh, he had been drinking, and he says, "I'll do." what I want to in my front yard. When police arrived, they found the five victims, the youngest just eight years old. San Jacinto County Sheriff Greg Capers says Oropeza has a history of firing guns in his yard.
5: The White House holding the correspondence dinner last night, President Biden supporting the attendees, saying the free press in America is not the enemy. Corey Myers, USA News.
19: The complete website is shopsupertea.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's
4: 818-984-6100, ShopsuperT.com. Extendivite is more than just a heart tonic. Most basic diseases are caused by yeast in the gut and metals in the liver, and we all have a bit of both. The garlic in Extendivite has a yeast-killing effect in the gut while also helping the sulfur enzyme in the liver get rid of the metals. Extendivite just may improve your overall health. Products like Extendivite are the only way we are going to get our society healthy. And if you're waiting for the government and pharmaceutical care to solve your health problems, you're going to have a long, disappointing wait, I think. Extendivite is a complete formula for extended life in the new millennium. 80 can be the new 60. ExtendoVite is available in capsule or liquid form for just $69.95 for a two-month supply. To get started, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with
5: ExtendoVite.
4: Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of A.D. After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Speaking of deals and everything here, years ago we had James Carrion on. This was during the time he headed MUFON. And that's when they had to deal with Bigelow to do that investigation now i don't know how much of that you've looked into over the years the first question i had did Buffon management know then that the money that was being given to them by bigelow came from the government's pentagon program
2: not according to the people that i talked to i think it became pretty evident that it was coming from somewhere but nobody had details that i know of You know, like, oh, well, this is a special program called OSOP under the Defense Intelligence Agency, and this is the contract, and this is the number. That wasn't information that was provided as part of the initial agreement with MUFON. You know, who knows what happened after that and where it progressed. And and there's a lot of people out there that are talking about it. But to me, it's old news. The government funded it. uh, What we did for Robert Bigelow is— not a secret and there's no conspiracy to it and he didn't buy our silence or anything else he he got access to our database but he didn't get exclusive access to our database we never had to give him something and bury it out of public view which is one of the the conspiracy theories i i've heard we weren't doing that and
1: so um but you know again it, it was a long time ago Carry on indicated, at least in the way he talked about it on the paracast so many years ago, that the whole deal just didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't it didn't work
2: out. Um and again, I don't know the exact story to that, but what I've been told is something to the effect of that there were some people in MUFON that did not want to give certain cases to the Bigelow database, even though contractually they were supposed to. And there were some people that MUFON within Bigelow's organization that MUFON didn't want to work with in the way that Robert Bigelow wanted to see. And that's, uh, you know, that's understandable. It happened, maybe. A marriage
1: not made in heaven.
2: Yeah, and, and, you know, it's like when you have an all-volunteer organization like MUFON, you have personalities. And so... Yeah, things like that are going to happen. But but all this nefarious stuff about the the MUFON-Bigelow relationship, there's nothing nefarious about it. Everything about the relationship is public knowledge. And all the people that want to turn it into some kind of crazy conspiracy and MUFON was bad and Bigelow was bad, nobody nobody did anything wrong. And nobody did anything that the public is is not being told.
1: I've never seen the indication here that Robert Bigelow is unsavory, except that the budget suites hotels that he owned most of them get very bad ratings it's a really low-end kind of hotel that well, makes money from a fine suites, dude. <laughs> well yeah but budget suites doesn't need dingy budget suites if you want yeah to
2: but get, you know they, what robert care. bigelow could have invested his money in building luxury homes in las vegas and and uh, instead of building places that the working man could afford to stay so you know again you know people are in business so i i don't think that i i think very highly of robert bigelow being fully aware that you know there's there's some things that that are kind of sucky i mean it, it would be nice if the uh national institute of discovery sciences material all of it were made public but it's not it's in a vault of Bigelow aerospace and it's his and and okay um so yeah i think you know but he's done a lot what is he doing now uh, well, you know, he's working on his his uh, death project, um, and just kind of staying staying out of the limelight. I think he got him. This is only my opinion, and and I want to stress that. But I think he got himself in a little bit of hot water when he said aliens on sixty minutes, and then I think that when the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency released the the Freedom of Information Act request that basically said that there was UFO debris at Bigelow Aerospace that was just another bullet he didn't want coming his way. And so a big concerted effort was made to change that story. Um, and you know, he's just kind of, he's, he's off doing his own thing and I wish him absolutely the best.
3: So Gene had, uh, had mentioned something about the, uh, the title of the film and how that came to be. Can you, uh, can you talk about that or does that spoil the film?
2: No, not at all. Um, the, uh, we were kicking around some different titles, but the the whole nexus of the film, you know, obviously I've been collecting material for a long time, but it came from my interview with Lou Elizondo in twenty eighteen, um, when he's kind of I I didn't mean to back him into a corner, but the way he answered a, a specific question the The response to his answer kind of put him in a in a bit of a jam, and you can see it come across his face, and you can see him kind of mentally panicking to figure out how to respond, because um, it was a genuine slip. And um, there's a few of those in the film, and then the, there's two reasons it's called Accidental Truth. One is because there are at least three or four spots in the film where somebody is clearly did not mean to tell us what is revealed by their by their responses and by their words and um you know then the it's got the double entendre of you know it was crash debris which is an accident and then if you look at the uh if you look at the logo the words truth and denial are actually built into the logo and it's got these little crystal drips that are animated in the movie that kind of symbolize the slow drip of disclosure and the even the movie poster is full of symbolism and meaning and the film exists on multiple multiple layers and as if you watch it more than once you'll start to see even more uh deception being revealed
1: unfortunately i only have one few left on the screener you'll have to get us access to the director's cut
2: yeah, you guys haven't told you guys haven't given me any feedback on the on the film. I, I need I need to, you know, to to put, uh, you know, simply amazing Gene Steinberg.
3: <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I gave you that glowing review of the uh, narration. Uh, so, uh, OK, I, I'll tell you, uh, I thought I thought it was interesting. I thought your choice of uh, people to represent the topics was spotty um and some of the things who, that who just, in particular did you did you not like okay uh I'm not fond of michael bora michael Shad, uh, michael schrat um and uh those those two are the, the ones that jump out and then
2: the reliance on the work of of tony Bregaglia. uh yeah but just you know i got to tell you a lot of people when those Freedom of Information Act requests dropped, because a lot of people don't like Bregoglia, I get it, but it doesn't change the fact that these are legitimate government responses to very specific questions. You can take Tony out of the whole thing. All he did was ask the questions, and and that does not create a situation where anybody should be discounting the answers. I think that that, that response to, to his Freedom of Information Act requests were absolutely groundbreaking nothing like that's ever been admitted by the defense intelligence agency and because it's bergolia and because he's managed to tick off a lot of people it got totally stomped on by the by you know the greenwalds and the, and the naps and the people that just they just attacked it because of him but, but it was it was good for me because here we are possibly one of the biggest revelations ever made through a freedom of information act request and because of of personal stuff it was largely panned by the entire field and and it's like uh okay you guys you guys just missed the biggest revelation ever to come out of government so we're saying here that he stumbled into it no i'm saying he asked the right questions and he and and he, he threatened to sue them for not answering the questions and he got a rapport going with uh um the, the guy that was in charge of, of responding to the request. And, you know, there's a paper trail of back and forths. And even emails where they're like, okay, I just want to clarify. You want material, you want information on UFO debris being studied at Bigelow Aerospace. And he's writing back yes. And then he gets it. And it says, we, you know, we have this information in response to blah, 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 blah. And then we have these other people that, you know, including people that have made their entire um, – franchise about obtaining Freedom of Information Act requests saying that Freedom of Information Act requests don't matter because they're not right.
1: Run, Kurt, Jean, you're in the Paracast.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN.
17: No matter where you live, what you make, or who you voted for, there are some things that will impact all of us soon. Whether you're concerned about the alarming increase in man-made disasters, financial institutions collapsing, or worsening food shortages, Americans are preparing in numbers not seen since World War II. What's changed is how we prepare. And the folks at My Patriot Supply have made it easier than ever for you to have peace of mind, knowing you're ready for what's next. Go to MyPatriotsupply.com and stock up on over a dozen emergency food kits. These include tasty breakfasts, lunches, dinners, drinks, fruits, veggies, meats, and snacks, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Get at least one kit per person. As we all know, calories equals energy equals survival. My Patriot Supply food kits are in stock and shipped discreetly. We've seen too many Americans let down by institutions we used to trust. It's time to rely on ourselves. MyPatriotSupply.com
20: MyPatriotSupply.com Wellness and self-care doesn't have to be complicated.
14: My name
8: is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. So
1: let me understand this, Ron. So some are saying that the information in the Freedom of Information request is not right.
2: The, yeah. The, well, it's it's
1: out there. I'm not going to paraphrase because I don't want to
2: put words in somebody's mouth. But that was, and I and I also don't want to mention names, but. The validity of Freedom of Information Act requests and the range of responses that are not necessarily are are being said to not necessarily indicate facts that came out. Because how else do you how else do you combat that? And there's a certain crowd that does not want this story out, and there's a certain crowd that doesn't want to get anybody in trouble, and they're kind of helping to toe the line there are people in ufology that i that have been pulled into the back room and said look i'm going to tell you something but you can't share it and as soon as you cross that line you've made the devil's deal and there's some guys out there that have done that and they know who they are i'm not bringing it up everything in accidental truth i got fair and square you know it's like <laughs> I, I i knew what to ask these guys and it's just like it says in the beginning of the movie i'm sitting here with people that have run secret weapons programs interrogated terrorists protected closely guarded secrets and all I can think about is getting them to tell me something they don't want me to know and that's what the whole film's about is is that and Michael Schrat. I mean who, who can not like Michael Shratt this is a guy okay who has spent his entire adult life working inside some fairly classified programs but also compiling have you ever seen his library of work this guy has metal file boxes Full of case studies that he has done. He went to MUFON headquarters where we have the Leonard Stringfield files, the original files. We actually have them, and he went through the whole thing. He has every single UFO sighting report that he that, that has been um, come across. He has created 3D models of these spaceships. He's had mega illustrations done. He's logged whatever evidence is possible, and he's put it into what is probably the biggest archive of sighting reports next to MUFONs and certainly the most artistic and elaborate. Um, the, the dude is, is one of the best historians in the field. He's right up there with Richard Dolan. And so I don't know anybody that wants to impeach Michael Stratt, Gene.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't mention that that was Kurt. Yeah, that was me, and,
3: yeah, I would, I would agree that, uh, yeah, he is in the same class with Richard Dolan, but uh, that's all I'll say about that.
2: <laughs> well, you know, nobody – very few people have their hands completely clean and are free of accusations and, and attitudes, and so um – and Mike Barra I mean come on we all know what Mike is all about you know he's the most politically incorrect guy in ufology and and are there some stuff around him Sure but you know what he was the only one that had the nerve to call these guys out and I thought that was a really really important line and and he delivered it um, very well It's like, look you guys aren't the people to be coming out with this you're really not and he he's in there twice and so you know that so i I had these interviews. And, you know, I'm not prejudiced about who I'm putting in the film. There's a lot of there's people in there that that I was told to take them out because somebody didn't like the way they looked. And that just ticked me off and made me keep it in. So uh, Barrett delivered a heck of a line. It's priceless. And that's why it's in the movie. And plus, he was right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's see. So.
3: When you mentioned the 1945 date, I, I'll tell you a lot of people speculated that Jacques Vallee or someone acting in his behalf was responsible for that because he's been investigating this uh, avocado case uh, from 1945, the Rene Rene Baca case. I don't know if you're very familiar with that, um, but you know he he and uh, Paula Harris co-wrote a book on that, and there's been a lot of attention to that, but he, uh, and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe oversold, I'm not sure, but so that's very interesting that. that well, I know uh,
2: that case was one of the, uh, one of the reasons that we pushed for that. I can't say if Jacques Fillet and Paula Harris went to Washington and met with Andre Carson to get the language changed in the bill, but I know that we did. Right, um, but you know, I'm not saying the MUFON is solely responsible for anything. I'm just saying that we have a very documented fingerprint on this stuff that 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 we can prove.
3: I well, kind of want to follow up on that. So there, the uh, you mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the date, and there is some very specific language that sounded like it came from people familiar with UFOs that you wouldn't have expected a legislator, you know, to talk about uh, the whistleblower freedom to testify, you know, and not, you know, face penalty of their violating their clearances and things like that. And there are a few elements like that.
2: So I'm guessing that that was some of the MUFON's input there, too. A little bit, but there's also some other players involved. And, you know, I I don't know absolutely for certain, but but word is that Lou and Chris are still very heavily involved in in some of these discussions. But that would be something for Lou to talk about. I, I can't. I can't confirm or deny it.
3: Well, just just curious if, you know, has MUFON happened to be with Chris Mellon in a room to at the same
2: time with uh, the uh, legislators? Um, I haven't been told that that's true, but I do know that we uh, the, the, the director of MUFON talks with Chris Mellon from time to time, and um, there's a certain amount of – <laughs> <laughs> in some cases our work is appreciated and in some cases it's like what are you guys doing you're mucking things up um, and so you know Chris likes to uh, he likes to chime in on what, what we're doing um, sometimes he's stoked and other times he's like uh, so yeah th- th- there's a relationship let me just put it that way
1: now I noticed well, in the film the interview with him was done via Skype you couldn't yes. just get there with a camera no um, actually,
2: I, that interview was—it uh, was right around the time the unidentified show came out, um, and he, you know, he says some things. We're not going to give it away, but he—he he basically, a lot of people will say it was an indirect admission of of programs about crash debris. Um, and and once he did that, and he realized he did that, um, he wasn't too keen on being interviewed by me again. <laughs> so yeah. Well.
3: And, you know, Chris doesn't
2: like to do interviews um, for the most part, and he definitely doesn't want to do interviews with people who really know what questions to ask because it actually puts him in a tough spot. Because when he came out with his original story in The Washington Post, uh, you know, the government doesn't care anything about UFOs, um, you know, and that's what I ask him in the film. I'm like, well, Chris, you're the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence – and if you're saying that the government doesn't know anything about UFOs, when we have mountains of evidence of programs that have been going on for seventy years, then you know, for you're basically either a, you're not read in, or b, you're towing the line. Then and, and you know that's what I asked him point blank, and that's when he gave the answer that you see in the film. And um, you know, wow.
3: So it's it's puzzling to me, and I, I know Gene has been of the opinion that we're really not going to get any answers from the government. They've been at this for a while, you know, either they don't have it, they don't understand it or unwilling to share it. And, uh, you know, MUFON's working with them now providing
2: information, you know, how optimistic are
3: you that we're going to get anything out of the government?
2: Well, see, first thing is you got to define government. You know, is government the front-facing politicians that are in the halls of Congress, the guys in the intelligence committees, the uh, you know upper brass at the Pentagon? That is what we call front-facing government. And I can tell you, because I've had the conversations with some of these guys, they're as frustrated as we are because they know they're being lied to. Um, So that there are people in Congress that really do want more answers, and they are not getting answers either. Even behind closed doors, nobody is pulling out the debris and showing them what's going on or, or, you know, none of it. And that gets to another problem is institutional memory. The government, when they first they have no problem destroying evidence. In the film, we point out that there there was a, a real a film shot inside the legendary Blue Room that was rumored to exist. And through a lot of freedom of information, labyrinths were able to prove that there was film of a room called the Blue Room at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. A legendary film that, you know, that actually did exist, but was destroyed. And so you have a situation where there's there it's quite possible that there are things that originally say there was a group like majestic 12 there were people who knew about all of it and then over time there was nobody else that knew the whole story and now there's you know maybe lockheed got some special coatings ideas from something or you know technology that we've derived from debris and materials we point out in the film there's a pretty good evidence chain about things like nitinol and transparent aluminum um but there's, there could very well be a lack of institutional memory of the whole story. And then, the, and then number three is that these groups, the offshoots of, of say, a Majestic 12-type group or some group with limited accountability um, for so long is now operating in complete autonomy and accountable to nobody. We've got
1: more with Ron, Kurt, and Gene. You're in the Paracast.
0: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Classic science fiction at its best. Available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com.
11: If you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity, this will be the most important message you'll hear this year. Here's why
0: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And now, here's Jane Steinberg. When we get to MJ-12, and you mentioned very briefly that it is, of course, controversial, the actual documents that were received on film, they're very clearly faked. Doesn't mean there wasn't an agency like that, but they're clearly faked, And we can think of some people who may have been responsible, and certainly William Moore, one of the authors of the original Roswell book, admitted to being involved in Air Force disinformation. We've got Rick Doty, of course, the infamous Rick Doty, and maybe he was involved. You make a suggestion here that whatever it is, there may have been some organization within the government that handled that particular purpose. But the question I would ask, and we have no answers, of course— is if there is an M.J. 12-like organization to monitor the situation with Roswell and other incidents, and it's made up of this key group of people, if you want to keep it a secret, keep it a secret. What point is served by coming out with a faked document about it? It doesn't divert attention. It just makes people curious. Well, Stanton Friedman was a firm believer that
2: some of the MJ twelve documents were genuine and some of them weren't. And it's a it's a pretty standard government tactic to, to mix real information in with disinformation. In the film we point out the you know the story of Majestic Twelve briefly, but we also make it clear that, that, that that's debatable. Rather, that was an actual group that did that actual work. But it's also a pretty logical assumption that a similar group with a similar charter would have had to have been convened in the event of something. And we also point out in the film something that very few people know about, and that is that the Army had a program at the uh, right, right in the right during the time when the Air Force was being born. World War II was over; these guys were pretty busy, but they found the resources to put together the Interplanetary Research Unit of the of the blah 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 blah, um, and it's like. The question we pose in the film is: well, Why did they need that? You know, as, as busy as they were, um, why would they be forming a group like that? And then, what happened to the records? They say that the records got folded into Project Blue Book, but they're they're not there. And and we know this group existed. So why in the in the in the time around Roswell, if there was nothing to it, was this group formed? And could it be that the people in this group were were the actual Majestic Twelve type of group or? Are they one and the same? All we're saying in the film is that it makes sense that they would have convened a group to manage this. And that group would have had limited accountability. And if that group has evolved, they're at the point now where they have no accountability. They just get all kinds of black budget money.
1: Let's go back a little bit there. Earlier in the show, you talk about the blue, blue room. And not everybody who listens to the show is up on all this stuff. Would you give us some more background? We don't want to have spoilers in this film, of course, but more background on the Blue Room. Well, there's there's long been a legend
2: that at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, there's a room that has, you know, storage of anything from crash debris to technology to possibly even bodies. And that the nickname for that room is the Blue Room. And... Um, they, they, there's some reason for that. I think blue is is an indication of classified um, stuff in some government circles. But anyway, the, the room's been rumored to exist for a long time. And um, Barry Goldwater actually got wind of this and he went and and tried to find out and talked to Curtis LeMay, who was his friend, and was told it very angrily, don't ever ask that again. And so the question that we've tried to figure out in the film is it, – then it, there's a story that the Blue Room was filmed, but nobody's ever been able to confirm it. But this – there was a set of Freedom of Information Act requests about it that basically went around and around in circles. Until finally somebody referred the the person who requested it originally to a media department for the Air Force. And they had the record of the Blue Room film uh, shot at Wright-Patterson. And it was called Project Blue Room. And the film that was documented as being destroyed but we were able to suss out that that film actually did exist. And so that that story is probably true. The contents of the Blue Room, who knows? But was there a Blue Room and was it filmed? Yeah, it looks that way. Someone was asking you before about the government producing anything, um,
3: you know, I'm just... I hope there's some transparency, but even if they find it out, I don't know that they're capable of interpreting it, presenting it. So I'm, I'm hoping that UFO researchers are not going to slack off because the government is supposedly on the job. Um, so do you, um, do you see scientists taking um, a more serious look into the topic, and do you think anything that might come from them rather than the government?
2: Um, well, I mean, obviously that's happening. Unfortunately, the the, the secret group, <laughs> who really is, I don't even think it's the government anymore. Um, it's, it's private industry that's basically practically the mafioso when it comes to this information. Um, they're the people that because we can sit here and we can find all kinds of anecdotal evidence but can we open the safe and take the the piece of a flying saucer to fox news or cnn uh no and are the people that could do that going to highly unlikely that's why we're being told this new narrative that it's it's a new story for humanity and at some point uh you know we've got People will ask me all the time. They're like, "Well, why do you think they're they're willing to be a little more open about it now?" Well, a, they're not being that much more open about it. They're telling us the same story. But the other thing is, is that we've got web Telescope, we've got commercial space flight, we've got Elon Musk on his way to Mars. At some point, there's going to be incontrovertible evidence that comes out into the public domain that government cannot get itself wrapped around and sequester. And so they're they're balancing the fact that they need to be completely without accountability for any of the past secrecy and for any of the past discoveries and for any of the potential crimes against humanity that were committed by withholding, say, free energy technology or anything else. They've got to be able to avoid that accountability. At the same time, we're not going to be able to keep denying this. We're going to have it at some point. The fact that we are not the only intelligent beings in the universe, if you think we are intelligent, um, is going to be something that we have to collectively accept. And so it's an interesting dance to have to walk. And accidental truth kind of gives them very little room to breathe anymore there's there was a gap in between what they're saying and crossing the line into admitting that there's another intelligent life form and i tried to suck all the air out of the room it's like where where are you going now you know here's the evidence let's start let's start having a serious conversation
3: so i wanted to ask you about the reaction of the film i think you know anyone interested in the ufo topic will probably want to see it have have you exposed this to
2: non-UFO fans and what do they make of it? Um, there's a, Look, I'm not trying to toot my own horn and I'm not going to, if I say this, all I'm going to do is, is get more people that just want to be mean and go leave one star rankings, which there was a couple people that did that. Whoever you are out there that went and got some of your friends to give Accidental Truth six one star ratings a week before it even came out, um, shame on you. And there's a couple of haters out there that have decided just to bash it, but the public, because Matthew Modine is is a mainstream actor, people that are not in the in the field are are watching the film. And I created this film to be a primer for just about anybody. The UFO community will say, "Oh, I already knew a lot of this," but there's going to be things I promise in there that you did not know, no matter how much of an expert you think you are. Um, But I also wanted to make a film that if you do nothing about the topic and you're willing to sit down and pay attention to the to the 90 minutes you're going to walk away with a pretty good understanding. And so the reaction from the mainstream population has been very very positive positive. I'm always asked you know what's what's a book I could read or a film I could see that would bring me up to speed on this and uh, James Fox did a great job with the phenomenon and I've done something with this but there this is one of those films that you that addresses that need it will it's a self-contained story that goes all the way back to pre Roswell and documents the the deception the discoveries stays away from making claims that we can't back up with at least some sort of, uh, of evidence that comes directly from the
1: government or the people who work for the government. We've got much more to talk about with Ron and Kurt and Jean, so you're in the Paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code,
19: That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperT.com.
14: G'day, I'm Jamel that works with Dr. Joel Wallach and the GCN team with Young Jevity at teamg'day.com. By becoming an associate, you provide income for you and your family on your own hours while working from home. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment
0: or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
1: So I'm going to ask you a question, and we'll pursue some of this on After the Paracast later, perhaps in more detail. All this stuff that's coming out now, and we're seeing the front of possible gradual disclosure. At the same time, they're saying, well, we have no evidence of spaceships. We have no evidence. What's the whole mantra there? No evidence that this is someone else's technology. No evidence it's our technology. It's just out there. You know, they won't really want to figure it out. But they always say, first of all, no evidence of E.T. No evidence of E.T. And maybe there isn't any. Maybe it is something Different, something we wouldn't understand. But we all have the scenarios in mind from sci fi and everything about the possible revelation of ET's presence. But what if it had nothing, whatever, to do with that? From time travelers, and I won't put interdimensional travelers in there because they're still, it's almost the same thing in terms of being from outer space, just from another place. Mm -hmm. But if it was something else, Carl Jung's collective unconscious, something else, How the heck would the government get a handle of it? Well, I mean, the government's only
2: going to be able to get a handle on something to the extent that humans and technology and perceptions of reality that are accepted can get a handle on it. I say, you know, I point out in the movie, I think there's a lot of different things that that we're seeing here. The ET hypothesis is a good, as Colonel Alexander said, and he would know, um, it's a good place to start, but it doesn't answer all the questions. The truth behind this is going to be way more than, than we know, and you know, like I said earlier, I don't think we're asking. We're not even at the point where we can ask the right questions yet. So, the 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 thing about well, we have no evidence there. Et well, Alexander states in the film that Kraft doing the same exact things were being witnessed and documented 40, 50 years ago, and we know that they were documented even before that. So the idea that it's some kind of technology that's human, like Russia or China or top-secret stuff that the that the Navy has, all of that would be possible, except for the fact that, that 50 years ago, it wouldn't have been possible. But those things were still around. So the idea that they're, they're uh, made by our... Humans, you know, who knows? There could be other humans on the on the planet that we don't know that are way more advanced. It's all kinds of theories. But the point is, is that if they're not ours, then whose are they? And that's where everybody stops. Everybody stops. They're not going to say they're extraterrestrial. But they're, you know, it, like Gary Nolan um, says in the in, in the film, they've said everything but they've stopped short of saying it. But they're saying. The fact that they're not saying it, but they've said all these other things, there's not much left. There is absolutely nothing left. Um, So, you know, there we go. I would say, you know, non-human intelligence, absolutely for sure in some of this. Rather, they are. I guess they see, even non-human intelligence doesn't work because if there's breakaway societies, or if there's another uh, human race that you know, maybe there was uh, civilizations on this planet that went underground, and they're still humans, but they're not us. It's a it's a big basket. But at the end of the day, the admission that they're not ours, they're not any foreign adversary, then they are something. They are an unacknowledged advanced intelligence, which is a phrase I came up with to kind of make sure that you don't exclude any potentials.
1: Now, when you talk about the government or what the government says, we look at this as a front-facing government where we know who the head of CIA is, the president of the United States, although some might argue about that, the particular member of Congress. All the people that we deal with when we call someone in the government for help with Social Security matters or something like that the front-facing government that we all know and other countries have that same equivalent but there are implications here that there's another level of authority beneath or behind all that that we don't readily access what is your take on that
2: you know, it's not that much of a stretch. And as it applies to the UFO thing, it's really a lot simpler than it sounds. And it doesn't have to be so conspiratorial or nefarious. It's just logic. At some point, these groups were, were formed. They were given basically unlimited budget and accountability to say they were formed during Eisenhower or Roosevelt. And they had accountability. They directly reported to the president or key people inside the Pentagon. So this was a small group even in the beginning. And the further they get away from accountability and the more they're funded and the more stuff gets buried inside industry and the more it gets split out among different stovepipes and compartments, you know, the, the, the more it gets diluted. And, you know, you get to a point where there's who, who is there left that knows everything. Um, and so that's kind of what we're dealing with is, is that most of it's been, in my opinion, has been put into uh, into. Um, cooperation with industry which makes it so that they don't have to be accountable for freedom of information act requests and so there's a there's nothing nefarious or mysterious about it it's just that the, the group that was managing this didn't really have to be accountable and over time the group has diluted and things are going on that there's probably very few hands that know what the other does In other words, it's not some kind of organized thing anymore where there's one guy or one little department sitting at the top that knows everything that that might very well not exist anymore.
1: Or maybe it does, but it would be a super, super small group. Well, the thing, of course, you worry about is generation after generation, 50 years, Mm -hmm. 100 years. If anyone knew some piece of information way back when, as it goes from generation to generation, Something is distilled. It's like you tell the joke to one person who repeats it to the next five people. And after that, the fifth person recites the joke. It has nothing to do with the original story. Well, it's just like the
2: Blue Room. You know, it's like we we finally found a record that there was film of, of the supposed Blue Room. But it was destroyed. Now, there's some people who would say, well, no, nah, they wouldn't really destroy that. Be, it would be in some big vault like Raiders of the Lost Ark. But what I've seen is that these guys have absolutely no problem destroying evidence forever. And so destroy, destroying film of the Blue Room, it's like, who, who would possibly do that? But somebody might have. And you know what? That's gone forever. Um, and there's probably a lot of stuff like that that's gone forever. You know, a lot of people think that that the the photos—if so let's say for a minute that Roswell really happened and it was it was non-human—that the photos and the and the debris and and all of that stuff are like that—they're somewhere. But it's also quite possible that the stuff was destroyed.
1: We also could use the Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark scenario. I just stick it in some kind of warehouse until they are prepared to deal with it. But then you never deal with it, because as generation and generation passes, the original people who knew what went on are no longer here. You think about, for example, the contact with the president of the United States. You think Eisenhower. You think Truman. Maybe Roosevelt knew something. But then, as the generations pass and a new president takes over, the original people may not want to talk to the new occupant of the white house because he's there temporarily yeah that's documented actually and you know it's
2: like there's also like eric davis will tell tell the story of yeah we have recovered craft we have not been able to reverse engineer them um other people say it there's people that
1: say it in the film we'll continue i want to ask about reverse engineering too with ron Kurt, and gene you're in the paracast.
5: USA News update. The search still on for the man who allegedly killed five people at a Texas home after his neighbors asked him to stop shooting his rifle. The White House holding the correspondent's dinner last night, the night not without controversy. The group, called Climate Defiance, assembled approximately 75 people as they tried
12: to block the Washington-Hilton entrance. Protesting what they said were President Biden's broken promises regarding fossil fuel projects, the group used banners, posters, and even a
5: brass band to get attention. I'm Jerry Barmash. At least 14 people hospitalized after a roof collapsed in Columbus, Ohio, but it didn't collapse on them. It collapsed under them. Between 15 and 45 people were standing on the roof when they heard a crack and the roof collapsed. Corey Myers, USA News.
15: I need answers to my tax questions. Where can I find them? Need answers? Try our interactive tax assistant on IRS.gov forward slash
6: ITA. Simply select your tax questions, provide your information, and it gives you answers. Also, check our help and resources page and try our online tax map 5,000 tax topics from A to Z. Plus, you can access forms, publications in a variety of formats.
5: This is how we do every day. And if
7: you want to come and if you love them
16: enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music.
10: Ah, this is mommy's jam.
16: Then surely you'll check nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat.
10: Let's
6: play it again.
16: Check today at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council.
4: Robert Hastings, author of UFOs and Nukes, and you're listening to the Paracast,
2: the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: Speaking of which, this scenario, which kind of dovetails in things you're talking about, Ron James, and that is here, you go back in time 50 years and take your iPhone and say, figure it out. And maybe we'll have a sense of what it does. But without an internet... Without a working battery charger, even if you can figure out how to turn the thing on, after a while you won't be able to figure out what to do. If you take it apart, and it's certainly doable, you can take apart an iPhone or an Android phone, they make it as hard as possible for you to do that, but you can do that, and you see all the components, and you've reduced this tiny wafer to a billion transistors, and you're at a point in time where you've just got one. One big one, which is almost as big as all billion transistors. How do you figure that out? Now take technology where they've perfected interstellar travel, whether it's warp drive, whatever. And I don't think it's gonna be hundreds of years from now that we have that, so we can go into that discussion. But consider technology 500, 1,000 years ahead of us. How could we reverse engineer anything?
2: Well, that's what they say is, you know, people that that claim to have seen these craft or whatever will say that, that the, these things are sitting someplace, possibly Area 51, S4, you know, wherever, and that every few years they'll come in, they'll try to figure it out, and they run into brick walls, and then they, they put it aside. And then, you know, if, a little while later, somebody else will take a stab at it. Um, but we've been able to reverse engineer very little, especially about propulsion systems and stuff. But, you know, things like you know, some of the technology that's come out of Lockheed, Raytheon, there's evidence that some of that stuff has, that we have been able to reverse engineer stuff, at least like materials and things like that. But as far as engineering power supplies and propulsion systems, supposedly that has not been achieved. But, you know, then
1: maybe it was, and we're just, even the people who should know don't. So, how would you handle it here? You have the spaceship at Hangar 18, wherever it is, uh, expanded blue room what do you do every 10 years or five years you bring in scientists and say okay let's try to figure this out and they say you know what i can't figure it out let's put it away from another five or ten years but eventually it gets forgotten
2: um uh, yeah it's exactly what happens and um although they say that it, it you can't really forget the elephant in the room so obviously the thing's sitting somewhere there's going to be somebody who doesn't forget it because it's there but um at the end of the day, there seems to be a lot of evidence that it, coming from people who have had a shot at this stuff. I was told off camera by one of the people in the film that that, that they were promised access to a craft, but they didn't. They ended up not getting it, and I've heard that story a few times um, from different people. Uh, so, yeah, there's something somewhere that they're that they're trying to figure out, and you know, at some point, like Lou had told me that. They've pretty much figured out how these things work. You know, how you can get across galaxies, how you can create the, the movement, um, but they just don't know how to do it. It's like, well, they're doing this, this, and this with bending the rules of physics and creating fields and blah, 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 blah. We, we, we kind of get how it's happening, but we have no idea how to actually do it.
3: There are similar theories about the way space and time operates and things that are light years away that are taken as pretty much um, accepted science that are really just theoretical you know things we can't you know can't see or touch so uh you know these other theories you know maybe they're equally valid but you know until until the technology or the science progresses
2: you know it's almost as substantial as a dream yeah well you know that <laughs> when it comes time to start unraveling what is our reality to you know the rabbit hole gets pretty deep the um you know, simulation theory is starting to gain a lot of traction. And if if our reality is basically, you know, some kind of, of simulation, which even by the most basic agreements in science, you could argue that it is, uh, then anything's possible. And so what's the point in arguing Rather, it's a, a gray alien from Zeta Reticuli or it's an interdimensional being coming to us through a, a portal? It um, doesn't matter because… Because if the whole thing is a program, then anything is possible because you can write it into the program. And, and I think if, if anything, what we're studying and what we're seeing in, in all of these different phenomena are just teaching us things about the nature of our reality that are, that are here to make us puzzle it out and think it through. It's like, what, what is actually going on? Um, and what is it teaching us about where we are and who we are and what we are? There's a lot to be gained from these clues that are being
1: left. What was the phrase Ray Palmer said this 50 years ago? Flying saucers are here to make us think.
2: Yeah, see, I, th- I think that that could be, uh,
1: you know, certainly a part of it. Crop circles, I mean, what other purpose? Well, certainly any UFO sighting where you see it land and you see these supposed creatures come out of it, that gets to be doing a lot of thinking.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. But, you know, also being in your room and seeing a a big uh, blob of light pop up and then all of a sudden something appears. And then the next thing you know, you're in strange surroundings. And then the next thing you know, you're waking up in your bed with sores. Um, That's kind of weird, too. I
3: don't know if we've got time for this, but I wanted to ask, uh, uh, Ron, uh, so what do you think about the language the government is using to describe, you know, the UAP term, which has now changed yet again?
2: Well, (laughs) it's it's interesting because – they're changing language. They're changing acronyms, and and all of it is just basically evading the same question. Um. So, you know, at some point, look how many offices have been set up and then set aside since the 2017. There's the UAP task force. Now there's the, I mean, there's just a bunch of them. I don't even have them all memorized. And all they're doing is juggling around and creating compartments so that they can all sit around and say, well, we don't know what that is. Oh, that's not in our purvey. Oh, we haven't looked at that. Um, it's, it's, it's just a, it's kind of, it's, like I said, it's hard to watch.
1: It doesn't make sense to call this Pentagon UFO UAP group another name every couple of years. It's this name. It's AARO now, which is reminiscent of APRO, a UFO organization that existed decades ago. So what will they call it next year?
2: Uh, Yeah, that's the whole point. And, you know, it's like I don't know if I mentioned this earlier in the interview. It's been a long show. But, you know, now we have NASA raising their hand. Oh yeah, we're gonna look at that stuff. Wow. Um, excuse me. Yeah, and
3: their per- the purpose of their distinct mission is not that clear to me. But but on that terminology, so what really threw me was uh, going from unidentified aerial phenomena to unidentified anomalous
2: phenomena. You've got. Two words that mean weird. What is that? <laughs> well, it's it's all domain now because they're what they're finding is that these things are able to traverse land, sea, and air, as if none of them represented a different type of um of. Uh, environment so something can blast out of the ocean it, it mock whatever fly through the air and into space and so it's all domain anomalies now because it's not just uap unidentified aerial phenomenon because it's beyond aerial at this point it's spatial and it's and it's aquatic i guess they're
3: trying to cover all their bases but it does make it confusing with the name changes
2: well, the, the thing that is even worse is that it's not just name changes; it's personnel changes, it's budgetary changes, it's uh, classification changes. It's I mean, each time you redefine one of these groups, it's starting over again. And so the uh, you know the UAP task force, okay, those guys were operating for quite a while. What what exactly did they accomplish? And now we have this new guy, um, you know, he's a very I can't remember his name that was testifying at the last hearing. This is a very esteemed scientist, but it doesn't seem to me like anybody's read him in.
1: That's Dr. Kirkpatrick, as a yeah, matter of fact. Yeah, right. Fantastic He's a what, PhD in physics or something like that. We're going to continue with Ron James and Kurt Collins and Gene Steinberg in our next section, which is the final section of the main show, at least. You're in the Paracast. The Paracast. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
13: There's been groundbreaking research and discoveries on how to effectively treat or eliminate over 900 different diseases naturally. It's all in my free lecture called Deadly Recipe. So call toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. Again, that's toll-free 1-855-79-YOUNG. 1-855-79-YOUNG.
21: I had no idea it would destroy my life. But before it happened, I had a successful business in Austin, Texas. Everyone laughed at me when I shut that business down, but I could not ignore the wake-up call. I was volunteering on a project to get locally grown food into a school. That project was a complete failure, and I discovered that there were few local farmers, there's only four days' worth of food in the grocery stores, and everything comes 1,500 miles via a just-in-time trucking system. I lost friends and family who told me I was crazy to worry about that. But I kept at it. I'm Marjorie Wildcraft. Those of us who know what's going on in the world know you need to become self-reliant before the dollar collapses. I've created a free webinar at GCNfood.com. I can show you, like I've shown hundreds of thousands of people, how to grow lots of food, even if you have no experience, you're older or you're out of shape. Do it now before the stores are boarded up and food is not available at any price. Go to GCNfood.com. GCNfood.com.
18: This is Micah Hanks of The Grayling Report, and you're listening to The Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
1: And by the way, neighbors, Ron James is having such a great time, he tells me. We forced him to say that, that he's going to hang out for the After the Paracast podcast, available to subscribers of The Paracast Plus at theparacast.com. Dot plus for more info. Let's continue, Ron. And I'm going to ask you kind of an end-all question, which is, we have the musical chairs in the Pentagon. We have a public that doesn't believe the government, or maybe will believe the government. Even if there was disclosure, who would believe it? I think of the scene I talk about. President Biden comes out and says, okay, we are being visited by beings from another planet, and maybe he brings out somebody. And then, what, 60% of Republicans will say, what's he talking about? He's not even president. (laughs) I mean, think about that. I, I thought the same in the years of President Obama, even with Trump. We have a society now where we don't accept basic facts as facts. So how do you even convey a disclosure on that basis?
2: Well, you know, especially when we now have the technology and the capability of creating a false flag. You know, there's a lot of people that still think Project Bluebeam is going to be a thing. I don't know if if I agree with that. I think it'd be hard to pull off. But, you know, creating the threat narrative about the ETs, creating a fake invasion to justify more weapons in space, blah, 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 maybe. You know, Right now, if, if they were going to come out and do an official disclosure, you're right. The president standing there saying it would not be enough. The, the reporters would have to have access to the stuff. All kinds of independent people would have to come in and have access to being able to study any of the physical evidence. And it would have to be all laid out. That's going to be a problem. It, it goes against their new narrative. They can't do that. And still keep the, the story that for 50 years, there was no official interest in the topic. So these guys are really in a bind. I'm, I'm curious how they're going to get out of it. But bringing in guys like this to run this new group, who clearly is, I don't think he's been read into anything. I mean, literally nothing. It's almost like they set this guy in this office and said, here's some stuff, look at it. And nobody pulled him aside and said yeah you know there's there's some truth to some of this and here's what it is this guy is starting from scratch either that or he's just a real deceptive person which i do not get i think he's got too much of a good reputation as a dedicated scientist but he clearly has no clue about the real truth about what's been going on
1: i wonder also about lou alessandro because he walked into this thing with probably no knowledge about ufos and he was working in this agency although you mentioned the controversy over his role and everything now he's a civilian and now he can't tell you all he knows but how much does he know because of the brief period of time in which he was exposed to it
2: i think that when he came into the bigelow program he was read into a certain amount of stuff but you know he's towing the new narrative just like everybody else that came out of TTSA that's where it was basically incubated and, and and he's doing his job and and if you were to ask Lou Elizondo if he's actually still working you might be interested in what he has to say so so he's playing his role in a program does he personally Want to see this information come out more than it has? And has he made some personal risks? Absolutely, he has. But the whole rollout of TTA, Ralph Blumenthal, when I asked him, he said there's nothing about any of that that was other than coincidence, but I have a hard time with that because obviously the TTSA was being incubated for quite some time. And then Lou handed in his resignation to the Pentagon knowing that he was going to segue into TTSA and knowing that these guys were going to go public and knowing that there was going to be a big cash race. And that's when the story broke and TTSA was already put together, already waiting in the wings. So a lot of people think that it was an organized rollout by people that want to see the information get out and got certain clearance to divulge certain things. And then also, when the election didn't go to the Democrats, the whole idea that Hillary and, and Podesta and everybody would be supportive of disclosure from the White House... That went out the window, and that gave the people that, that really didn't want the information out, it, give, it gave them a chance to get off their back feet and come up with a strategy to offset this and to and to fight back. This is what we've been seeing. You know, it's just like in the movie, Richard Dolan calls it the empire strikes back. We're watching a lot of internal stuff that we'll never be privy to unfold in front of us.
1: Luis Elizondo, is he still working for the government quietly? To become part of the program of whatever information they choose to provide us. That's not something I can definitively answer. And, you know, I, I like Lou a lot.
2: And even if he is, so what? There's actually nothing wrong with that. <laughs> then, you know, there'll be other people that say, well, you know, once you're that deep in intelligence, and once you have that those kind of clearances, and once you're privy to that kind of information, and you travel in those kind of circles, you're never not working.
1: Never. So long and short here is he may still be a spook, but we have no idea. Intro. In the
2: film, we go point ahead. that out. We say uh, Lou knows what he can say and he knows what he can't say. And so obviously somebody's telling him what, what those things are and, and where you can go and where you can't go. And in accidental truth, we get him pretty much as far as he can go. More, more than I think anybody's
1: ever seen. Now, one of your guests during the course of the interviews takes off his lavalier microphone, and gets up and leaps. What was that about?
2: Well, the interview was over. It wasn't anything bad. <laughs> In fact, I just... Uh I was at his office two months ago to tell him about the uh, the release of the film, and and you know we sat down and talked about it. So he he was not upset. It was just that the interview was over, and he, and it was it was kind of cool actually that he did that. But it wasn't because I pissed him off. Although there are people in the in the film who I did piss off, but he wasn't one of them.
1: Which ones got upset? I and mean, you hinted at this
2: earlier. I don't want to name names. And the reason for that is because, you know, a lot of people told me a lot of things. And then a lot of people didn't mean to tell me a lot of things. And my goal in making the film was that these people would still talk to me after it was done. And for the most part, that is that has been the case. I managed to make a film about the biggest deception in human history being with some of the people that are part of it being featured without calling anybody a liar and without denigrating a certain person or making anybody a villain and so that was a fine line to walk and frankly i'm still walking it and i'm just going to leave it at that
1: so is there going to be an accidental truth number two i think i'm going to call it accidentally on purpose (laughs) (laughs) oh boy hey where can our listeners find more of the work you do and get more information about the film
2: Well, the film's available on all the places where you would rent a film, Amazon, iTunes, Google, Apple TV. It's available on Vimeo. It's available, you know, just all those places, Redbox. The official website for the film like if you want to buy a t-shirt or something and that, that isn't bootlegged <laughs> you can go to Accidental Truths with an S AccidentalTruths.com and from there you can, you can learn more about the film and, and you can springboard on to, to getting it or you can just go to your Amazon or your uh, wherever you see movies on your smart TV and it's, it's, it's everywhere right now it's number three on documentaries on iTunes which is pretty cool
1: Kirk Collins, where can we find your
3: material? I've got the site Blue Blurry Lines and also a blog called The Saucers That Time Forgot, specializing in UFO
1: history of the weird. Speaking of weird, you can find us on Twitter, while Twitter lasts and we never know anymore. You can find us on Facebook. We have a fan club and then some kind of group, and one day or another we'll figure out more of it. You can also buy branded merchandise for the show from the Paracast.shop or, if you prefer, the Paracast.store. And we have four different logos to choose from. Pick the ones you want. You can get the T-shirt in whatever size you want in each of the four logos. We also offer the Paracast Plus at the Paracast.plus, where we give you this show free of the network ads with better quality audio. So I sound the same, but people like Ron James and Kurt Collins sound much, much better. And free of the network ads, as I say, you can also get the After the Paracast podcast. That package that includes things that we can't allow on traditional radio how about that go to the paracast.plus we will give you a 20% discount on 5 year and lifetime subscriptions if you use the coupon code UFO20 UFO20 theparacast.plus Ron James old friend thanks for joining us on the Paracast
2: thanks Gene it wasn't as lambasting as I thought it might be but you know you and I have done a lot of good interviews together and you've always been fair